Welcome to the Power Disability Mayor's Disability Council this Friday, May the 20th of 2022. This is a virtual meeting. This movie, this meeting is being broadcast on public television, sfgov.tv. That's our website. This meeting is open captioned and has ASL interpreters. The Mayor's Disability Council hosts nine public meetings annually. Generally, they are on the third Friday of every month. If you would like to contact the Mayor's, off, Mayor's Council on Disability for more expansion on information or ask for any other accommodations, please call us at 415-554-6789. That is a voice message. You could also leave a message there. You could also email mod at sfgov.org. Our next regularly scheduled meeting will be on Friday, June, it's the third Friday of the month also from 1 to 4 p.m. And that will be broadcast at a later date. As the co-chair, I would like to say that these meetings are an official capacity and we must make sure that we're respecting everybody. There will be disagreements and disagreements play an important role in government, but let's focus on our strengths and working to build on our weaknesses. Please be mindful of polite and respect for each other, of being polite and respect for each other. Please do not have any personal attacks on anybody that may have a, uh, a different opinion than you. We like to get the opinions and perspectives from all people of the community, all people with disabilities. We encourage you to give us your ideas. We don't want to see any insulting or name calling. No verbal assaults are necessary. We on the Mayor's Disability Council do promise to treat everybody with respect, members of the public, just like our committee members. And so we've made this agreement with you. We're here to listen to you and to take your concerns into account. For people who are joining us today, we ask that you speak slowly and clearly. Try not to speak too fast. Uh, we do have interpreters and captioners, and it takes them a little bit of time to catch up. Please also be aware that during this meeting, the MDC staff will turn off their videos while they are not speaking. So you may see that their cameras are off, but that does not mean that they have left the meeting. It means that they are participating fully, just um, having less visual noise on the screen. Also having it off is better for interpretation purposes. It allows the interpreter to be larger. So hopefully uh, that's uh, an understandable accommodation. Debbie K. 
can you go ahead and give us the roll call, please? Yes, I can. Thank you, Co-Chair Sasuni. Um, when I call your name, please indicate whether you're here. Alex Madrid. Hi. Orchid Sasuni. Yeah, I am present. Denise Senhow. Present. Tiffany Yu. Present. Helen Smolinski. Helen let us know in advance. She'd not be able to make this meeting. This is Sean Lewis Woods. Jashan let us know he would be um, here, but maybe a little late. And Ananya Tandon Verma. And Ananya has some extended medical issues. That is the roll call. Thank you, Debbie. Next. Agenda item number two, uh, 105, reading and approving of the agenda. Clerk, can you please read the agenda? Yes. So after welcome and roll call and reading and approving the agenda, there will be general public comment and that is on items that are not on the agenda. And the first information item is the co-chair report, followed by item number five, discussion item, accessibility and inclusion in city-sponsored summer programs, presented by Jean Robertson from San Francisco Unified School District Lucas Tobin from San Francisco Recreation and Parks, and Cherise Dorsey from San Francisco Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Public comment will be welcome after that item. Following that, there will be a discussion item number six, working together, the San Francisco Disability Community 2022 Advocacy Agenda presented by Jessica Lehman and Fiona Hines. Um, Jessica Lehman is with the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates and Fiona Hines is with the Community Living Campaign. And following that community comment is also welcome. Then there will be a 15 minute break and item number seven after that is a presentation on hearing loss awareness month resources for people with hearing loss presented by Ken Arcia, Association of Late Deaf and Adults. Following that is a report from the Mayor's Office on Disability Item number eight. Item number nine is correspondence. Item number 10, general public comment. 
Item number 11 is council member comments and announcements. And item number 12 is adjournment. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Great. Um, any questions or comments regarding the agenda? Do any council members have any? Or say yay if you approve the agenda as read. This is Denise. I approve yay for the agenda as read. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, item number three, our public comment period. Clerk, could you please open the meeting for general public comments? If any of you public have comments, please go ahead and begin now. Um, we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for public comment at the beginning and end of the meeting, as well as after specific items on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. We ordinarily use a stopwatch that we show on the screen or a timer. Um, this month, because of staffing shortage, we um, will be um, giving you a verbal warning when your time is up and Alex Madrid, co-chair of the council will do that today. At the end of the comment period, we will move on. Um, at the end of your comment period for three minutes, we will move on to the next commenter. If you want the council to respond to your comments after the meeting, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org and use the subject line mdc comment reply request. You may also provide additional comments by email to that address mdc at sfgov.org or by calling 415-554-6789. You can join the meeting as a Zoom webinar participant to make public comment, and you'll be able to um, make your comment by raising your hand um, using the raise hand function at the bottom of the screen. And you'll be recognized when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature in Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send, or you can also type your comment into the Q&A box and I will read it for you. If you join the webinar by phone, dial star nine when you wanna be recognized 
and we will let you know when it's your turn to make comments. We welcome suggestions about how to make the MDC meetings more accessible. And you can send an email to mdc at sfgov.org. If you need assistance accessing the meeting, you can also email that same address, mdc at sfgov.org. At this time, members of the public may uh, address the council on items of interest that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, but are not on today's meeting agenda. For agenda items, there'll be time after each item on the agenda for public comment. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items that are not on the posted agenda. And that includes items raised by public comment. So let's see if there are, I see one hand is raised and that is a call in number. I don't have the number. Um, it's, let's see. Could you use number two? No. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Number two. Please Hello. Your... Yes. Hi, uh, this is William Railing, uh, commenting for Accessible San Francisco, an unincorporated nonprofit association. And I just wanted to uh, give some praise for the way that this meeting was agendized. Um, a week ago, last Friday, I checked the agenda page and the agenda had already been posted for this meeting, um, you know, well in advance of legal requirements. Uh, it was also posted on the, um, you know, so the, the, the proper agenda page uh, for the MDC, not, not just on the homepage of the Mayor's Office of Disability. And I just would like to say it's always great to see uh, any uh, committee, commission, board of the city go beyond what's legally required and give plenty of advance notice and have um, <clears throat> have the agenda posted. It, it makes it a lot uh, more likely uh, for more people to participate. So I just wanted to thank you for that and thank you for the great agenda for today in terms of the topics. Um, there's always, uh, you know, a, so many different um, items that you could hear. And uh, I think today is a great example of a really diverse um, set of topics that uh, touch on uh, a great many people uh, with different needs. And so I just wanted to thank you for that as well. Thank you. Thank you for that comment. That was great. Do we have any other comments, Debbie? I do not see any at this time. None at this time. Okay, great. 
I assume then that we can go on to number five, agenda item number five. Yes. Great, so that is our discussion item, accessibility and inclusion in city-sponsored summer programs. Excuse me, oh. Madam Co-Chair. I believe the co-chair report was next. Oh, okay. Okay, that's fine. Okay, let me back up. Let me start over. And that's a good time too. I apologize for that. You're correct. We're going on to number four, which would be the co-chair report. Go ahead. Are there any co-chair reports? Um, I believe ORCID, um, since you're the co-chair, that um, that is for you to do. Yes, that's right. I'm just looking to find my report. Just give me one moment. Just one moment. Madam Co-Chair, I have that that you provided to me before the meeting. Would you like me to read it for you? Yes, please. Okay. Since the April public meeting, the MDC has begun to prepare for the annual MDC planning retreat, which will be held in August. The council will use that time to set priorities for the coming year and review activities and accomplishments for the past year. And that was the brief report. Perfect. Um, that's correct. In August, we will be having our annual MDC planning retreat. So that month we will have no public meeting. Our next public meeting um, we will have it in June and July and then again in September. All right, now we can move on to number five. Discussion items. Again, this is accessibility and inclusion in the city-sponsored summer programs. And this will be presented by Jean Robertson from the San Francisco United School District, Lucas Tobine from the San Francisco Recreation and Parks, Maria Sue, and Sharice Dorsey from the San Francisco Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. Uh, after, after this, I'm sorry, after this presentation, we will hold public comments after this presentation is done. Um, and then we will open for comments after the presentation is completely finished. So if you have any comments, please go ahead and use the chat or the QA box. Um, if you would like to speak your, your comments, please hold them until the presentation is done. So we are ready to go ahead and start. Okay. 
Perfect. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for um, inviting us, the Citywide Inclusion Collaborative, to present to you today. My name is Sharice Dorsey Smith. I am the Deputy Director of Program Planning and Grants at DCYF. And the CIC, for short, is a coordinated effort amongst city departments to provide greater access to city-sponsored public programs for children and youth with disabilities. And I'm joined here, um, we said, with Gene Robertson and Lucas Tobin, and we have a short presentation for you today that hopefully will give you a better understanding of who we are, what we're trying to do, and what we've been able to accomplish thus far. We do have a PowerPoint that I believe Lucas will share. And is that showing up? Yes. Great. Yes, it is. And, and if you need to adjust your screen, you can as well, because um, it is important that we see the interpreter on a larger screen and not in a small box on the side. Okay. Thank you, Lucas. So, thank you. Um, next slide. So this, yeah, next slide. <laughs> so the um, Citywide Inclusion Collaborative is, consists of multiple city departments. Um, we have the Department of Children, Youth, and Families, where myself and Maria Sue, um, and we have the Department of Recreation and Parks, which is um, Lucas Tobin, um, Jessica Huey, and um, Jennifer, oh, you hear her last name right now. Jennifer Wong. Jennifer Wong, thank you. <laughs> um, we have the Mayor's Office of Disability, where Deborah Kaplan sits on, on, on the um, collaborative the Community Advisory Committee for Special Education um, that is represented by Christina Scher, who also represents um, support for families. And then we have the San Francisco Unified School District with Jean Robertson and Julia Martin. So we wanna take you through our journey and like I said, provide information on what we've been doing um, and then summer programming and opportunities. And I'm gonna pass it on to Lucas. All right, so this next slide uh, shows a line that goes through some dots that symbolize the path uh, that led to this collaborative and, and that the path that it's taken since uh, and where it will hopefully go. Um, it begins with when the pandemic started and the shutdown began in March of 2020 um, and to the Community Hubs Initiative for the 2020 to 2021 school year uh, to the Summer Together program where this, this collaborative really got, got its start um, to the training program that we started uh, and, and then the final dot on the path uh, says visioning for our future um, and that's where we hope to go with this collaborative. Um, this next slide shows an image of the earth next to uh, a, an image of a COVID molecule. And it's meant to illustrate the start of the pandemic um, and that, that we're all in this together. And that's what we were saying back then when it started. Uh, and then this next slide shows um, 
some images of kids showing off their band-aids where they got vaccinated um, and some healthcare workers in full protective gear uh, and then a group of, of people um, who are all wearing masks and different face uh, uh, protection. Um, and then it's there's a there's a picture of a smiley face that's got a mask on and, and some hearts around it. Um, and the it shows the um, the dates that schools shut down, which the date was March 13th of 2020. Um, and the when we started the emergency child and youth care program, uh, which was three days later on March 16th. Um, and thinking back to this time, uh, we in the city were really scrambling, first of all, to get the the uh, emergency childcare um, sites opened up um, and provide services for um, for kids who were um, children of of healthcare workers and other first responders and people like that, um, but also and also just to get equipment, um, protective equipment, uh, things like masks we didn't even people actually weren't even wearing masks yet um but uh getting any kind of protective equipment and cleaning equipment and and you know even getting alcohol wipes <laughs> and thermometers was impossible at the time um we were ordering things you know wherever we possibly could and just trying to get equipment um and uh that people throughout the city were working including recreation and parks and the libraries um, we're working in person and while at the same time the school district was was really scrambling with getting distance learning started um, and um, and children and youth with disabilities were supposed to be prioritized for the, um, the emergency child care um, and as I'll talk about the the community hubs that we started um, but uh, according to the health care, the health um, orders, but we were seeing that this, you know, that while that was the the idea, that um, it wasn't really happening in practice um, how it should be, and there was a lot of confusion about that. And so, um, so that's uh, that leads us to. the next phase and Sharice, I'm gonna hand it back to you. Thank you. So on this slide, you will see a picture of Phil Ginsburg, who's the director of recreation and parks, um, Maria Sue, who is the um, director of the department of children, youth and families, and another Sharice, who is actually a staff member um, with recreation and parks in the top um, picture. They're at one of the community hub sites I believe in um, Ingleside at the rec center. And then the bottom picture shows um, Mayor Breed and, um, and a student at another one of the community hubs. I would also like to invite Jean Robertson into, um, to participate in, in this slide to talk through how we, in partnership with rec, with rec and Park first with the ECYC sites and then as the school year um, started to ramp up and the district was um, 
coming together to figure out how to implement distance learning. And then all three of us, school district, Rec and Park and DCYF um, coming together to um, implement the community hubs to be able to talk from what was happening from the school district and their point of view and then what did this mean um, and what did our hubs provide? So I wanna have Jeannie come in and be able to talk through what SFUSD knew at that time and what that meant. Jean? Hi, thank you, Sharice and Lucas. I'm really happy to be here um, as part of this, this collaborative, as you know. So back when we were first met with the new challenge of the shutdown, you're saying, what did we know at the time? We didn't know much at the time. And uh, we were scrambling. There was a lot of talk happening about what should be. Um, and there were a lot of people uh, coming together to try to take action. Um, but there was some confusion. If, if anybody were to go back down memory lane, um, I think there's even a Chronicle article that is um, linked in the notes section of this um, PowerPoint that will sort of illuminate some of the challenges that we were, we were all dealing with. First of all, this was unprecedented. Um, our, our children were at home. Um, our children did not all have devices in which to uh, engage and learn from. Uh, we had to pull off a Herculean coordinated effort to get hotspots and technology into every child's hands. I, I believe that was probably one of the first things that um, we had to mobilize on. Ultimately, we saw this at as an opportunity knocks, at least in my department. Um, and we leaned in immediately to uh, Maria Sue's phone calls and emails saying, Jean, help, we're building hubs and um, your kids are coming, our kids, our city kids, and we're, we're not teachers and we're not paraprofessionals. And some of our kids have disabilities and we need some guidance. So we took that opportunity knocking as a just a bold invitation to collaborate and come together. And that's exactly what we did um, in, in building the hubs together. It, it didn't happen overnight. It absolutely took some time, some meetings to strategize um, exactly what we were trying to do and, and who we could get into those hubs. Um, we had hopes and dreams and desires that weren't as easy, easily put into action as we had hoped. And um, we were, our district was engaged in some labor conversations. Um, so we, we couldn't just put our staff in your hubs as much as it sounds like that would have been the perfect um, example to meet the need. Um, there's strict labor laws and um, bargaining agreements that we had to work within. So we were a little bit at a loss at the beginning, but it did not deter us. So what we did do is look at what we had in our SPED central realm um, as far as helping the staff that was already in place um, in, in the different hubs. So that was the first thing that we did together um, in our collaborative. So while the district was getting technology in all of the kids' hands so that they could be homeschooled and we were, well, schooled at home, I will say it that way. And our um, labor partners and our district representatives were working through discussions on how best to set up uh, distance learning in the home. We still wanted to help what was happening in the hubs and build out 
because so many of our kids were in the hubs. So I'll stop for there for right now, but those were the first sort of actions that we took together. And it's what brought us to the table and a commitment to continue to meet. I think we were meeting almost weekly um, back in early 2020. Over the course of our journey together that was in the previous slide, we went down to meeting every other week and at times monthly, um, but we have never not met um, from month to month because we're very committed to the success that we had together in ongoing visioning. So I'll stop there. Um, you can prompt me again when you're ready, Sharice. Thank you, Jean. And so um, it, the remainder of the slide just talks about what the hubs provided, but I wanna move on to the next slide. Um, and um, on this slide, it shows a picture of Eureka Valley at one of the um, hub sites. And then there's a graphic that just breaks down the different sites that we have 53 CBOs, we had 19 rec RPD sites. Um, there were nine sites that were at the public libraries, two sites that were in public housing. Um, we had two sites with a hotel and one at Yerba Buena, but the thing that I want to call out is that out of the 2,750 youth that were, we were able to serve, 21% of them were um, our SPED youth that we were able to implement and, and, and bring in program. All of this is what prompted us to, as we moved on, move on, so next slide please, and start to plan for the summer, we needed to make sure that we were serving um, our youth with disabilities and we had they had access um, and um, a place to be for the summer. So we then introduced Summer Together and Summer Together launched in summer of 2021. And it was a coalition of our community organizations, nonprofits, businesses, schools, and other city departments working together to offer in-person experiences for our highest need and hardest to reach you to address the impacts of the pandemic. Um, we served over 25,000 students who were um, a part of that. And we actually had um, six CBOs, 80 sites. We were at 31 rec and park sites, um, 80 school, 80, 80 agencies at 77 school sites, and we implemented private camps and we brought in private camps to support our um, students during the summer. Um, there was an effort, we had early outreach to several populations, youth with disabilities was one of them, as well as our youth in um, public housing and our ELL students. But our priority was to figure out and to make sure that we are addressing and getting the students into the program who need it the most. Uh, Sharice, I want to um, say one other thing, yeah. if I could. I forgot to mention in the community hubs, um, you mentioned a percentile of students that were on IEPs. And one of the things that, that San Francisco Unified did with each one of the hubs was to touch base with the director um, and give them the names of contacts, school contacts for every single one of those kids so that they had a, a, a straight phone line um, to, I, I called it the mothership, and, and they could talk to um, school staff regarding that individual learning plan. We also made sure that 
every family had an opportunity to sign a release of information if they chose to, where we would be able to share an IEP, which is the individualized educational program of each child. We call it an IEP at a glance, and we would share those goals and objectives um, and present levels and different kinds of supports and services and you know what works for these kids so that they could implement to the best of their ability within the hub. So what we did was we, we shared this information amongst um, the partners, including the family, to best set up those kids um, as they began to work with these new staff in the hub. So not only did we provide training to the hub staff, but we also um, tried to sort of broker these um, strong authentic partnerships from the get-go to best support kids on IEPs. Thanks. Thanks. And I'm actually going to give it, go ahead, Lucas. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to, you know, connecting with what Jean is talking about, because we, Recreation and Parks did run an inclusive community hub at Eureka Valley Rec Center that um, Sharice mentioned as well. And um, we, so our hub was focused on, on children with disabilities, and it really was, um, it really was great how, how connected the staff were able to be with the teachers. Um, it was, it was, you know, we've, we've been invited to IEPs, you know, once in a while over the years. And, and in this case, we were, you know, invited to all the meetings and, and really had good connections with the teachers and it, it helped with the connections with the parents. And um, so, so that really, um, you know, just wanted to add that to what Jean was saying. And um, uh, should I go ahead, Charisse? With um, okay, um, so so at the same time as this summer together program was was coming together, uh, we were at Recreation and Parks. You know, we've always done our best to be inclusive, um, but also have felt somewhat like we're we were on an island um, and trying to do everything we could to be as inclusive as possible, but, you know, we, we've always been limited in the numbers we can serve. And especially, you know, with, with COVID going on and limited staffing and, and really limited numbers, we were still having to limit the numbers of kids in each, in each group um, for our programs and our, and coming into summer to get ready for our camps. And so we were hearing concerns like we always did from families and then I believe Nicole Bond also was was hearing concerns from families about, you know, how do we register? Do we do we have priority to register? How do we register? What's the process going to be? Um, and then, you know, families had had ex a lot of experiences of being turned away by different camps, um, camps not really being as inclusive as, you know, that maybe they they said they were open to being inclusive, but but in reality didn't really work out. So that's when um, Nicole really called the meeting with, with all the first meeting with all of us. Um, and so it included, you know, everybody we've, we've talked about recreation and parks, mayor's office of disability, department of children, youth and families, um, support for families and the, uh, the CAC as, um, as was mentioned before, um, and Maria Sue and Charisse were so incredibly responsive 
and just, you know, saying, yes, let, you know, what, what can we do to help make sure that, um, that these, the camps are more inclusive and that families know how to register and that the communication is good. Um, Gene Robertson and, and also Julia Martin from special ed, we're, we're so on board and so inclusive. And I was, I was just incredibly excited about, um, every, having everybody together, um, and, uh, and working together in this way, because, um, uh, you know, like I said, I sort of felt like I was on an island um, for many, many years. Um, and um, but I'd been dreaming about this kind of collaboration um, and with exactly the people who were in the room when we started those meetings. Um, and so the just in in really a few weeks before summer started, we were able to um, you know, change the language around uh, around registration, get better information to the families, connect them with camps that were um, that were going to um, help their children be included, and um, and and the result was some some really great success stories for that first summer. Sorry. So next slide. Um, so as we're preparing going into this summer, from what we learned from last summer, we realized there's there needed to be more training. So on this slide, you see an image of some young people on some skateboards in a summer program. And we, in our discussions, we're like, okay, we need to make sure as we gear up going into this summer that we are even more successful in um, outreaching, contacting, enrolling, um, not only our um, families that have children with disabilities, but making sure that our CBOs and the private camps are prepared and able, and we've increased their capacity to serve more youth. And so we um, uh, provided some training, what we call ongoing cross-training, to all of our CBO partners and everyone who would be engaging and working with young people. Next slide. And, and Jean, would you like to talk through just what the brainchild and what we came up with and what led to more youth being able to be involved this summer? Um, I don't know if I can do all of that, but what, <laughs> what I can do is, um, First of all, just acknowledge everything that Lucas just said, and it it's too bad that you you had felt like an island all of those years because we're and we kept saying this we're we're such a small city seven by seven. Uh, there's no reason why we can't all come together and share this lift. Um, we we clearly understood that we all had something to offer. Um, one of the the areas that we um, agreed on very early on was really helping summer staff understand and respond appropriately appropriately to behavior. Um, so we were all born and raised, and we all had behavior, and all of our grownups responded to our behavior in certain ways, and we seem to cycle a lot of those. Um, sort of actions uh, over time. And for those of us in the business, and we actually have a whole behavior unit in um, the special education department in San Francisco Unified School District, that's all they do. And they are very, very good at their jobs. They have a fantastic um, 
supervisor who sees that unit and they love to share knowledge about behavior and what what we can learn from a child's behavior and what can lead into a behavior and um, how we can support kids and really manage and, and get through what at one point would have been egregious, perhaps uh, how we use the word escalating. Um, kids escalate. Oftentimes, grownups add to that escalation. We don't realize that we're doing it. We're kind of using all of those old methods that we were born and raised on. And frankly, many of them are wrong. And I'm saying that out loud. Sorry, not sorry. But if you're a behaviorist, um, you're expert in this field. And so we got our experts um, to build some, some kind of beginning Behavior 101 decks, and we infiltrated each other's space and shared um, these assets with each other. And we trained, we call it cross-training, um, all of our partners that were providing services to children um, over the summer. We did this in the hubs at first on a small scale, and then we really built it out for a summer together. So working and coordinating with Lucas in all of those discrete camps and um, different folks um, that come in and work with our kids, they all got the, the same um, sort of training around how to support kids um, in behavior. So that was one of our first uh, chunks that we took on. We also went a little deeper um, to look at kids on the spectrum, autism, and uh, the different levels uh, of how to support kids and what some of some of what is happening for children who might be demonstrating some behaviors um, that are associated with their disabilities and how we can support that. Um, obviously, we are very committed um, from our teams to not deny service to anybody. We want every single child to have the same access. The equity is, is a huge piece. Um, not just kids across town that might have trouble getting across town or um, you know, it was just very, very important that we set up conditions so that kids could be successful, all of the kids. So we, we really honed in and focused on um, behavior to start with. Um, and I'll just stop there. So as we, um, next slide, we're going to wrap up real quick just so we can get to comment and questions. We're going, in, going into this summer, 2022, We've done um, outreach, began way back in March to families. Youth, um, youth with disabilities were one of our first um, populations that we outreached to, what we called our early access. We were able to enroll um, just through that first wave. I believe over 200 youth were enrolled in programs, but it was ongoing. We've had multiple waves after, and I don't have my final number to know how many students um, in full were enrolled um, between my program and um, um, between the program, the CBO sites, the community-based organizations, and then Rec and Park. Um, but enrollment is still happening. Um, access is still available for some sites. Uh, summer program begins in, in um, two weeks. So we're hoping to, to finish up and um, have final enrollment that will end at the end of May. But what, pro, what youth will receive in these programs, 
that there's comprehensive wellness support, there's going to be social and emotional learning support, we're doing literacy and math, um, there's project-based enrichment activities, there's physical activities, um, and then that for our older students, we have um, credit recovery. The photos that you see on this slide are just young people who were engaged in summer program last year at the zoo, doing arts and crafts, and then just in front of a fun sign. Um, but then it's what's next? What do we, what, what's after this? I want to add one thing about training for this, Pat, for this summer coming up. We did expand and we got a little, a little savvier and went deep with being more inclusive, how to accommodate children. Um, also, best practices in communication with families, which we, we feel is highly, highly um, needed across the board always. And lastly, trauma-informed de-escalation. We are seeing so many more children coming out of their um, time in, I call it lockdown, during their distance learning. And um, they're very dysregulated behaviorally. So we've, we've ramped it up a little bit more. So training is shifting as the needs are shifting in the field. Thank you. Do you want to close this out? Who, Lucas or me? You, James. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, I can honestly say uh, amidst all of the madness that we have been carrying as public servants in the city of San Francisco during this pandemic, meeting with this group has been a real bright spot because we, I really feel, and I know they do too, that we've done something good. And we're very committed to continuing to do the good work. So we are looking for information from the field collaboratively from our families and anybody who wishes to pipe up and help us find our, our continued journey together. We have our eyes on the library system. Um, we can just always do ongoing inclusion training because we're getting so much better at it um, over the years. It will That work will never stop. I think it's in our blood. Um, so we'll continue to cross train. Staffing continues to be an issue in all aspects of all of our work. So we want the world to know that this is still a very wonderful place to work, meaning with children. I wouldn't have spent my 33 years um, as a grown up any other way than working um, as a public servant, a city employee, uh, working with children. It's a very wonderful way to spend your days. So I encourage everybody to think about that and get the word out. And if you want to talk more about that, I, I can certainly, I have a recruitment elevator speech I'm happy to share with anybody. Um, and yeah, we're going to continue to plan workshops with um, support for families and our CAC partners, everybody in this room. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to us today and hopefully celebrating a nugget of goodness amidst all of the madness that surrounds us. Um, we're very proud of our new relationship. Okay, that was a great, great presentation. Thank you. I wanted to give council members the opportunity to give a, a, a comment. Do um, Alex, would you like to go ahead and start with your comment? Yes, thank you for coming to us. Yes. Um, I have a couple of 
questions. Um, one question is that I know that some students cannot do in-person activities and do you guys have options to do online activities? And if so, how do you accommodate students on that? That's one. And the second thing is that in the past um, year, um, I know that you guys talk about amazing things, but I'm sure there is some um, things that need to improve. And uh, I, I, I would like to know more about that and, and see what things you guys implement on, on that and say, and um, let's, let, let me start there, so. Um, should I chime in here? Um, so thanks for the, the questions, Alex. And um, the for your first question about online um, activities and recreation, um, I think that the what what we represent here are really more the you know in-person day camps and after school programs. Um, and that's that's mostly what the city is involved in. Um, but there are some great um, great programs that are doing, you know, really people really learned how to do virtual programming uh, during the pandemic. And there's some great programs that are still doing that that really focus on kids with disabilities like Keen, SF, um, Support for Families. I believe is still doing virtual programming. No, I just want to make it clear that the Dragon Park doesn't offer offer or or San Francisco Unified School District doesn't offer after school program um, on Zoom, correct? SF Reckon Park, SF Reckon Park does does not because we've been so in person. Um, we we offered a lot of uh, virtual stuff for seniors, <laughs> but for kids, we've been in person since, like I said, you know, three days after the schools shut down. Um, but Julia, I mean, um, Jean, sorry, <laughs> do you uh, have anything to add about that? Yeah, I wondered um, if the question was more focused on sort of the school. We do this I'm year. More good on you, you guys, every, everybody in this meeting, particularly Reagan Park and school district. Glad well, I Yeah, I'm a little confused by the question, the way I... I let me... Let me Repeat my question, Jean. Okay. My, my question was, did you, um, I understand that um, you guys do in-person, um, um, in-person activities, but uh, some people, some students 
that has um, disability cannot do in-person activities. Are there any activities that is provided on Zoom because of some accommodation needs? That was my question. So I am not aware of activities specifically. We do have Zoom support, school support for kids this year. There is a program if a child cannot come in person, they can get their school and their education through Zoom still. And many children are in that program and several are on IEPs. And so those accommodations run the gamut. There's lots of different ways that we can accommodate students. Um, so they weren't denied access if we could provide what we call their free and appropriate public education via Zoom. If we felt, if the team felt that we couldn't provide their free and appropriate public education via Zoom, then we opened the conversation to get creative. And again, there were a lot of different ways of doing it. None of them were optimal, I will be honest. We, it's very difficult to provide FAPE outside of school and what our current um, and typical conditions are. But IEP teams did get creative and they worked hard. We also accommodated some kids through the home hospital program, which wasn't optimal, but it was a legal means in which to do so. So for some kids, we used that, that sort of uh, mechanism, for lack of a better word. Uh, but for any recreational or after-school act activities that kids might need accommodating on, I am not aware of any from the level from where I sit. In my time... Oh. I think um, I think it's good to think about some ways to do some Zoom activities for kids. Even I know the Rico Park do offer for seniors, but I think it's time to think about for kids too. Thank you for coming. That's Thank all you. my question. Okay. Great, thank you. Uh, Tiffany Wu, ready for your comment? Did you have a comment? Yeah, sure, um, it's Tiffany Yu. Um, but I first wanted to say thank you. Uh, it is great to see all of these different uh, stakeholders collaborating in this way, and I hope to see more of this continue in the future. Um, I loved Alex's comment and inquiry around virtual programming because I know a lot of disabled folks, that's where we kind of start to uh, have been gathering. Um, and I also just wanna acknowledge how thoughtful I think everyone has been in terms of uh, working with parents, um, trauma-informed care, uh, having mental health and wellness support available as well. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, I did have a, a question and maybe this is more of a comment. Um, but I noticed that a lot of the programming seemed to be focused on kids with disabilities, and maybe this program is specifically for that. But I just want to acknowledge that I think kind of like early young adult 
uh, people with disabilities are probably some of the lonely, loneliest people out there. So I was wondering what programming might be available for them to continue to get socially connected as well. That is a great question and comment. Um, I think, so this is where hearing that, we need to know where do we need to focus on moving forward. Typically in the summer, in the past, at least for um, DCYF, a lot of the programs have been geared towards children in K-8 or even our high school kind of stopping at 11th grade. But over the last year, we realized we need to probably do more going into even beyond our 18 going, you know, 18 to 24, even in that range. But what would that need to look like? And who are the providers that can actually, you know, um, produce program or provide programming for that population, that subset? So that is something that we will definitely look into and have more conversation about. As of right now, just across the board, the typical type of programs that are available to the older youth are around, um, um, like I said, the credit recovery or college and career type. And then there's some content specific, like, and, and more focused on workforce and then wanting to have a job and have that work experience, which we do have a program um, that we fund that um, works with, um, it's hearing and speech, but it works with a certain set of population around workforce opportunities and programming, but they're only one. Um, and they can't, of course, serve um, the, the amount of youth that need that. But that is something that we can look into going into the school year and then going into gearing up for next summer. So I thank you for that. And I can chime in. Um, Recreation and Parks does offer a um, some some general team camps. And of course, we, we offer inclusion support for those. And then my team offers a teen camp um, that's a specialized camp for teens with disabilities. Um, but of course, we're limited in the number of weeks we can we can offer that. Um, we also hire some of our some of our teens um, as youth workers, um, and they're working in in general camps um, as well. And then we have a we have a year round or a, a school year program for access students, um, the students who are you know the young adult transition age youth. Um, that we've had to scale back. We used to have about five different programs at Reckon Park that were geared towards those students. Um, it's scaled back right now, but hopefully we'll be able to build that back up again. Um, and then volunteer opportunities and other um, work opportunities for, for those access students as well. Ray, thank you very much. Um, are there any other council members? I believe um, Denise, do you have a comment? Um, no, I don't. It was already um, addressed through Tiffany's questions, but thank you very much. Okay, great. Um, I do have a comment. I am a parent of a hearing child, and during COVID, um, obviously access to uh, the programs. Um, unfortunately, my child wasn't able to go to some of the summer camps, but as a parent in you know middle-class family, um, a lot of the other programs were already full, and um, their priorities were giving to other 
um, families. And so that was a little frustrating, but the camps that I found um, that were provided were very, very expensive. And a lot of them were all filled up fast too. And so it was just a process of having to, um, you know, my son just had to stay home with me for two years, not being able to participate in any of these programs are available. I wish that a lot of them were. So it's wonderful that we, you were able to provide some of the hubs. Um, it, for example, some of the hubs that were in the library, um, a lot of the resources were really confusing. Some of the parents, I heard their comments about, you know, how do I sign up for this program? How do I do this program? And I know priorities were given to some of the families who work or have a parent who works in the healthcare industry. Not only um, in the San Francisco area, but there were some other families that were outside of the San Francisco area. And so I know that that is a big need that we have, but then the other families um, were not provided with some of those opportunities and they, the children just had to stay home. And it did impact behavior and other um, of other parts of our children as well. So it has taken time to recover. And obviously that situation is uh, getting a little better. And I know that um, we are you know, trying to advance, but I wanna applaud you for all the great work that you're doing. And I'm happy to see that you know, you're continuing to include um, more trainings and more practices. And I wish that so that we had some of these before the pandemic happened. Because, you know, before as a deaf mother, um, I was always looking and trying to navigate uh, information for my child. And I had to ask Lucas, um, you know, if you could help me find the name of a DCYS. And that is how I was able to get in touch with the person that I need and to make that request. And oftentimes myself, um, as a deaf mother, I wouldn't understand, you know, why we needed certain things or why certain things were set up the way they were. So sometimes finding the information can be kind of frustrating. And I know that there have been other people that have been frustrated as well. And so we need to make sure, um, you know, some, some positions require college degrees. There are other positions that if you don't have college degrees, they will accept experience in lieu of the degree. So I guess my question um, for you is if there's a staffing problem um, and we're not able to find participants or people that have college degree, maybe have you considered expanding the services and expanding it for experience rather than um, college degree? I know that there have been comments made before um, about this specific topic, but has there any, any talk been given to maybe adjusting your process to expanding um, the pool of candidates that we have and maybe you know, also um, allowing the parents to be able to have those services and meet those needs. So that was one of my comments. Um, I guess I know that this topic has gone on and on, but I wanted to go ahead and just make that comment. Well, well I'll share just, oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead, Jean, and then I'll go. Okay, I, I just wanted to say that I, I agree um, with everything you said, knowing that there were some hiccups and um, confusion with forms and uh, we got a lot of feedback in the moment and will, you know, it will add to our learning and, and redesigning ongoing, number one. Number two, as far as um, the staffing issue in relaxing any of those guidelines, if only I had that power. Um, I personally um, don't have that power working in the SFUSD because we adhere to the credentialing guidelines set out by um, 
the California teacher credentialing sort of entity. There's a whole unit that guides how we can navigate through that. Now, there are ways to get people set up in pathway programs um, and or on emergency credentials, uh, but that always comes with the promise of intensive training to bring them up to speed and in the current times, that is no easy feat. However, there's a, there is a, a pathway program in SFUSD and SPED Central is keenly aligned with them because we are the hardest to staff area in our district. So that's my answer from the district side of the house. Um, I'm sure Lucas has a different answer on the recreational side of the house. I can speak for recreation and parks and Sharice can maybe can speak for some of the, the other um, providers. Um, but at recreation and parks, we, we will always, um, all of our positions, uh, pretty much you can substitute years, hours, years of experience for having a degree. So, um, so that is something that, that we're able to do um, for our staffing and especially with our, our temporary staffing, our frontline staff, um, they they it's always based on on hours um, and not not degree. And for CBOs, I think it you know they take they look at experience more so than of course a degree. So I think there's more flexibility. Fortunately, with our, our with our fortunately not unfortunately fortunately with our CBO partners than um, trying to get into the city or even with SFUSD, but that's something that I can remind <clears throat> excuse me remind agencies about. It's like you know there's families there's folks out there who have the experience that you can tap into. I think for them it's knowing where to access those people. Like how do they even get the word out um, and be able to recruit. Um, folks who can help. Great, thank you so much. All right, are there any comments from the staff um, before we move on to public comments from the MOD staff? This is Nicole speaking. I will be very brief because we want to go to public comment and our next presenters are also here. Uh, and we're on a, a little bit of a schedule today. So first, I just want to say thank you. We've come a long way in these programs in the last year. And this collaboration, uh, I hope, can be a, a model for other interagency efforts where we can improve access for kids. And, and so thanks. Um, I was, was, a, was a camper and a suburb program kid, and it really shaped my identity growing up. So, so I say personally thanks and I say thank you on behalf of the department. I wanna encourage us to make sure that we're collecting data to make sure that we uh, uh, have some success metrics that we can report out on how these efforts have in, improved enrollment of kids with disabilities in our programs. So uh, let's keep, uh, working on that. And just as a final comment, I'm wondering if folks are uh, listening or following, is there still time to register for additional programs? And if so, how do we do that? Anyone can take that one. 
there may be space in um, some of the community-based programs, but I'm not 100% sure. Families, what they can do, we do have um, a, a, on our website. I believe some, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I do believe um, some of them do have a deadline of May 31st. So there is um, some time. Yeah, there's still some time for some to continue to register, at least for, uh, we have on our website, a list of all the community-based organizations that are providing summer programming. So families can look to see and read the description and see if that's an agency or program they're interested in, be able to reach out directly. The enrollment um, that we had online has closed for, for um, that registration process, but you can always go directly to the CBO and be able to apply and um, register. And then Great. I'll pass it to Lucas. Thanks. We do still have a few spaces left in our specialized programs, um, and and there uh, are I'm sure some spaces still in some of the general camps um, at recreation and parks. And I'm putting the the website where people can go to um, for registration and to be able to find out what what's still available with recreation and parks. I'm putting that in the chat. Okay, and for the public, we will move that into the Q&A for information. Thank you very much. I think we can move on, um, Madam Co-Chair, to public comment. All right, let's go ahead and move to public comment. Does anybody from the public have any comments? Am I okay to go ahead? I do, I do see somebody named Adina. Debbie, are you monitoring public comment? I'm just making sure you're, you're there, please. I'm sorry, I was talking while I was on mute. Um, I was saying I saw, uh, I do see one person named Alida. So please go ahead and um, provide us with your comments. Clarification, do I have two or three minutes? Because the team here knows I can take every single second of it. Three. Yes, okay. three. Wonderful, thank you. So my name is Alita Fisher. I'm the advocacy chair for the Community Advisory Committee for Special Education. And so on behalf of the CAC, I just wanna thank the team who's presenting here. As Chief Robertson tells us all the time, we have to look for those pandemic silver linings. And I think that this collaboration was absolutely one of them. Um, I would like to thank the team for all the work that went into summer programming last year. Students with disabilities got unprecedented access to private programs through grants, to, um, to prioritization in SF rec and park camps. Um, and it was amazing just to see the inclusion that happened one of the things we are hearing though this summer is without that same prioritization and the attached funding, many private camps didn't offer the same level of inclusivity this year. Um, I'd also like to, um, to appreciate the staff training um, and how what an impact that is having in after school sites and summer programs. This is a huge move forward. Um, and also the CAC would love to see more paras, behavioralists, behavior techs on call and available at each camp, adaptive, adaptive physical education personnel, and, and so many other things as well. 
Um, as far as partnerships moving forward with the public library, that's amazing. Um, we'd love to see SFMTA um, be part of that. You know, a lot of our students with disabilities struggle um, to um, independently uh, access transportation as they get older. Um, uh, and some more social skills, perhaps social skills camps, social skills groups, things like that. We saw a huge need for kids to increase social skills during the pandemic. Um, I would love to see Golden Gate Regional Center added to the collaboration here. I think that is a huge need. There's so many families who could potentially access, um, you know, who could have folks vendorized to support their kids at after school programs, at summer camps, if they only could get access. Um, the CAC has been talking for years about a collaboration between the city and the district as far as some kind of camp option post extended school year. Extended school year runs 9 a.m. to 1 or 8 to noon. And very often families that work full time struggle um, to find options for their kids after that. Um, and so in parting, I would just like to um, make sure everyone is aware of the concept of the dignity of risk. Um, you know, as kids get older, um, a part of adolescence, a part of growing up is being able to take risks. Um, and when we take risks, we learn, we grow, and we have a better quality of life. And our children with disabilities deserve as much access to camps and other opportunities to take risks and grow as everyone else does. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Uh, thank you for your comment. Uh, next comment, please. I see, no more, I see no more comments. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for the presenters for coming today and presenting on this wonderful topic. I hope that these summer camps will continue to be a success. I do want to remind everybody that uh, this is a fantastic opportunity um, for families to, to, great, to gain some great access and some information. So thank you. All right, and next we'll continue um, with our next discussion item. Great, yes, discussion item number six. This is, uh, as I mentioned, item number six. Working um, together the SF Disability Community 2022 Advocacy Agenda. And it will be presented by Jessica Lehman, Community Collaborator, Alliance of Disability <laughs> Advocates, and Fiona Hines, who is a Community Living Campaign. The two of those, these two will be presenting today. I do again want to re remind the uh, public comment will be taking place after. If you do have something that you just can't hold on to, go ahead and type it into the chat. We want to welcome Fiona and Jessica for coming today and please go ahead and begin your presentation. Thank you so much for having us, co-chair. And all of the, um, the commissioners were really glad to be here. 
Um, so my name is Jessica Lehman, and I work as Executive Director of Senior and Disability Action. Um, and I'm here today representing CADA, the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates. And my name is Tiona Hinsey. I am um, the Director of System Change at Independent Living Resource Center, San Francisco. And I am um, here representing the Dignity, the Dignity Fund Coalition. Um, so our goal really, oops, go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and share slides and we'll be sure to explain them along the way. Um, so these are slides with yellow in the title and white um, below it. And the first one says, working together, the SF Disability Community 2022 Advocacy Agenda. Um, I should clarify that um, I don't know if it's as cohesive as this makes it sound, but um, but we will be talking about a number of issues that um, that are really big this year um, in the disability community in San Francisco. Um, and then it says presented by Jessica Lehman, SDA and CADA, Fiona Hinsey, ILRCSF, and Dignity Fund Coalition, May 20th, 2022, SF Mayor's Disability Council. Um, thank you, Jessica. So, um, and I'll just piggyback on what Jessica was saying. Um, Jessica and I are, are part of several groups and um, they each have several uh, advocacy priorities they're working on this year. So we just chose a couple from a couple of our groups that are um, really important to us. So I'm here first to present on the Dignity Fund Coalition's um, priorities for priority really for the budget season. And for those of you who don't um, who don't know about the Dignity Fund Coalition, we started in 2016 and worked to pass the Dignity Fund, which is a um, a budget set aside um, for services for seniors and folks with disabilities. We've since branched out to continue um, advocacy for um, seniors and people with disabilities. And um, this year, our priority is really around the digital divide. So if you would go to the next slide, Jessica. Our, um, our, uh, our priority, as I said, is the digital divide. So you'll see on this side a um, banner that says, keep us connected, the name of our campaign. And then there are um, three folks of um, various uh, races using um, various assistive technology devices. Um, there, this um, ask was, next slide if you would. Um, this ask was really informed by first, um, the in, um, Empowered San Francisco Needs Assessment. Um, they really assessed the needs of seniors and adults with disabilities around the digital divide and digital literacy. And over the next couple of slides, I'll just go briefly over some of the findings and the report is available online in, in full if you would like to look at it. So this slide says the top five barriers to internet access, and this was a survey, um, cost of high-speed internet at the number one barrier is 28, at 28%, cost of a device, um, insufficient smartphone data. So we know that for example, um, 
folks have smartphones, but sometimes they have limited data. So you can't do, um, you do one telehealth appointment and that um, um, caps, caps your data. And next we've got unstable internet connection. So we know that Wi-Fi um, in the home is now a critical need for folks. And then we have concerns about online um, security. And if you would go to the next slide. So again, we have assist, uh, assistive technology is critical um, as stated on this slide. So we know it's not all about computers. Um, so in looking at the AT needs, we found out that um, low cost AT is um, critical. Not all assistive technology uh, costs an arm and a leg. Some of it does, as we know, but not all of them do. Um, um, and then we've, we've got training, of course, being critical. As I've said, when I've talked about this, ask in the past, uh, uh, um, hardware is no good unless you know how to use it. Um, as we, we've all learned during the pandemic, um, information about AT options. So really providing information and referral and again, training. Um, access to free and low cost repairs at 30%. So if your AT breaks, you need, you need help to fix it. I know that that's, that that's something that happens to me with my wheelchair often. Um, and then we have these needs are especially prevalent for, for those with chronic pain, mental health disabilities, Low income, SRO residents, Latinx, um, AAPI residents, um, and people who speak languages other than English, such as Spanish or Chinese. Um, so we really um, we crafted this. Um, we, we took this information and we crafted um, this budget ask, which um, is on the next slide, if you would. Um, so this budget as really has, um, I won't go, through, I won't read all the, um, the line items, I'll just um, go through and talk at a high level around the categories. So we really have, it's a $3.5 million ask over two years. And um, as I discussed before about the need for, um, hardware so that's in there um and also but also critically the need for training as i discussed the need for digital literacy for staff um as we know um seniors and folks with disabilities often need specialized training um and also and also the training is not linear so really um really the staffing needs are really what's critical in making sure this all happens. And then also um, there are making sure those resources are available in other um, a variety of languages, um, but also 
and then also centering um, the, um, the devices that are not maybe computers or tablets, but other um, assistive te technology, as I talked about before, that um, are not necessarily flashy, but are really necessary for um, someone's daily living, like a walker or a spoon that helps um, some folks eat independent, independently. Um, really, assistive technology is a very broad scope. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the ask. I'm more than happy to go deeply into any ca categories of it um, in our question and answer period. Um, lastly, on this, uh, the next slide. There Fiona, is I just, I just wanted to add in addition to this ask that um, Senior and Disability Action um, with support from a lot of other um, disability groups and other organizations is also pushing AT&T, the biggest um, internet provider in the area, to do free Wi-Fi for seniors and people with disabilities. So it's been great to work closely on what does the city need to do as far as offering devices and equipment and, and training, and then what does it look like to have free quality Wi-Fi more readily available. Thank you for that. And I believe there is also a, a Wi-Fi component to our ask. So just to um, wrap up on this particular section, um, um, you can reach out to us at our email or info at sfdignityfund.org. And then um, there's a link to our campaign website um, where there is all this information and more. There is a petition that folks can sign and take a look at we, we really are pushing 500 signatures online and we wouldn't, um, this being a campaign about the digital divide, we also have um, a petition that's downloadable um, that you can sign wherever really you can go. So that's the info on that. I will uh, turn things over to Jessica to go over some of our other priorities and talk a little bit about KDA. Thank you so much. Um, and just to clarify, um, I see a question about, is AT&T working on providing high-speed internet connection? I would say no. Um, we are fighting AT&T a little bit. They keep saying that they don't have money or that it wouldn't be equal, and they have a ton of money, and so we are pushing them to do the right thing, making some, some progress. There's some improvements on the federal level that affect people here as well, but still a ways to go. So housing is, of course, always a huge issue um, in disability communities and all communities in San Francisco. And there's a couple specific things um, that many of our organizations have been working on and that CADA is supporting this year. So first, many of you have been hearing for years about the problem with elevators in SRO hotels, single room occupancy hotels, um, where most of these hotels were built a hundred years ago, uh, literally, and they are not in great shape. And the elevators are very old, built with very old parts. And so they fall apart. They stop working with the kind of use they get. And it often takes weeks to get a new part. And 
at first I thought it was a joke when they would say, oh, the, the part has to get built in Kansas. And so that's going to take several weeks. And it, it's just like nothing else that ever needs repair. And then I found out this is true, that they, they're kind of building the parts as they need them um, because they're so old and not readily used. So obviously that system doesn't work. And um, a few years ago, we fought and won um, a SRO elevator repair rebate program that ran through the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development that um, helped, um, helped buildings, uh, or about five buildings, um, get repairs for their elevators. But we need something more. So this year, as part of the Housing Stability Fund, um, there is a recommendation for $10 million for elevator replacement and installation in SROs. So recognizing that just re replacing parts, that repairing elevators is not a good long-term fix. We're talking about replacing elevators and installing new elevators. And yes, that's incredibly expensive. It's an average of $1 million per elevator. So $10 million will go for 10 elevator, 10 buildings. Um, but that's huge, right? If there's even 50 people in each building, um, then that is 500 people that we're affecting. And we know from a survey um, that we did several years ago that the majority of people living in SROs are disabled people and seniors who really depend on elevators to be able to get in and out of their units. There are so many stories of elevators being out for months at a time and people being stranded in their units, um, not able to go out and get food, not able to get to doctor's appointments, not able to connect with, with you know, anybody in the community. Um, or an elevator is out and somebody leaves their wheelchair in the lobby and then they manage to get up the stairs, but they're out of breath and they have heart problems and their wheelchair gets stolen. Just these horrifying stories that things that don't need to be happening. We just need to fix these elevators. So that is the first major ask in terms of housing. And then also a few years ago, um, several of our organizations, disability groups and senior groups fought to um, develop, we didn't actually have to fight. We worked with um, uh, Supervisor Norman Yee, who was the president of the Board of Supervisors at the time, um, to create a new program called Senior Operating Subsidies. And this addressed the problem that in what is called affordable senior housing, the income people are required to have is still much higher than so many seniors or people with disabilities. Um, so this program takes the level where it may be set, rent may be set at 50% of the area median income and a senior operating subsidy will lower it to 15% or 25% of area median income, much more in line with the income of someone who is living on social security or SSI. So we know that program has been really important. All along, we've said we need corollary. We need to create some kind of disability operating subsidy program. And there's a lot of issues involved in that. We don't have affordable disability housing built right now in the way that we have affordable senior housing. So we have to be creative in thinking about it, but we know it can happen. So part of the ask for this year, also through the Housing Stability Fund, is for the city to put $4 million into expanding senior operating subsidies and creating disability operating subsidies. And then the last thing on the list 
um, for housing is portable rental subsidies for seniors and people with disabilities. So this is the same issue that there's not enough affordable housing and rents keep going higher and higher. This is for people who are currently in a unit, but the rent goes up or um, they, their income goes down. Maybe they were getting help from a family member and, and that help disappears. Um, more likely their rent goes up, they're living on SSI and they don't have a way of bringing in more money. So a portable subsidy allows a person to um, to cover the difference in what they can afford in rent and what the actual rent is so that they don't get evicted and end up homeless because we know there's often nowhere for people to go. There are not other good options. So um, this is a program that actually started um, several years ago and it the subsidies are run through the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and it has been incredibly effective for keeping people in their homes. And I just misspoke. They're not through um, Department of Homelessness. It's also through the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. I just caught myself there. So, um, so we we just need to reach more people, right? We all know seniors and people with disabilities that are struggling to um, to pay their rent and are at risk of of being pushed out. So we are asking for ten million dollars more in portable rental subsidies. And this is aligned with HESPA, the Homeless Emergency Service Provider Association. Um, they have an ask that has a lot of different housing components. And so they're asking for $10 million for rental subsidies for seniors and people with disabilities as well. So this is one of those ways where the disability and senior communities are aligned together and with the broader um, homeless advocacy community so that hopefully we can be very effective in our budget advocacy. And the picture on this slide um, is a action we had recently about the recommendations from the home, the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board. And um, so you can see a group of, um, of people, um, a lot of seniors and people with disabilities in front of City Hall holding all kinds of signs and um, there's one that's really good and now I can't remember what it says, it's too small. There's one that says SOS for senior operating subsidies. Um, there's one that says housing now, oh, one that says deeply affordable housing. And then the senior and disability action banner is being held up in the front. All right, so that's housing. Another issue we wanted to talk about is masking. So, uh, where to begin with masking? We all know it has been a really rough couple years and things have changed constantly in terms of what we know about COVID and what the policies are around COVID protections. And of course, relatively recently in San Francisco and throughout the Bay Area, um, masks are no longer re required in indoor spaces and on public transit. And so many disabled people and immunocompromised people, um, as well as older people and parents of kids under five, are really upset about what does this mean for those of us who are either at higher risk of getting COVID, even if we're vaccinated, um, or maybe people, you know, some people who can't get vaccinated or where the vaccine is not effective, as well as those of us, and I'm in this boat as well who are at risk of severe disease um, and potentially death if we do get COVID. So um, I think we're in a scary time right now where 
we know that that with ableism um, and all the other isms, right, disabled people are very often excluded from public life, that it's hard to get around, it's hard to get the services we need, it's hard to feel like our, our voices are heard. And I think right now we're really seeing disabled people being treated as less important. And um, all along through the pandemic, the way the way it's been talked about that, well, you know, most people are fine, that it's okay for us not to wear masks um, because, you know, most people, if they get vaccinated, are going to be fine if they do get COVID. That's not true for a lot of disabled people. And that really needs to be considered in terms of public health and safety in a way that it currently isn't. And um, I think a lot of us are really disappointed and frustrated that in a place like San Francisco, where we talk about being different, right? And really paying attention to marginalized groups um, that, that that's not happening differently. So I put on the slide exclusion from, from public spaces. You know, this came up the other day with me as well, um, where City Hall is no longer requiring masking, right? And so if, if it's not safe for me to be inside, then other people are going in for a hearing and, you know, I'm sitting outside in my wheelchair. Um, and that's not okay. We don't we don't need to have a, a split system like that. So there's a, a graphic here that's a little bit of a cartoon. And the top panel has a, a person riding a bike and it says COVID cases are just dropping and in parentheses, again, with an exclamation mark. And then the second panel, it says drop mask mandates. And the person takes a, a long stick and puts it in the wheel. Um, so obviously the, the bicycle is not gonna go anymore. And then the third panel shows the person um, fallen on the ground with the bike next to them. And it says, why are cases going back up? And then the, the caption on the side says, San Francisco has a COVID test positivity rate of over 10%, the highest in California. And of course it's been pointed out that so many people are doing home tests. So nobody seems to think these, these numbers are even accurate. SFDPH officials recognize the crisis, but are refusing to use their power to issue mask requirements. And then it says, join us in calling on them to reinstate the countywide indoor mask requirement. And a lot of the focus has been on masking on transit. So um, all of the Bay Area transit agencies have said, well, we can't be the only one, right? That, that MTA and BART and AC Transit and all of them are all really connected. So, um, so we went to BART and um, board president Rebecca Saltzman was really supportive. And she understood that even if health officials are not requiring masking on transit, that it's the right thing to do to protect all riders. And especially when we know so many disabled people don't have other options. We can't afford cars or people can't drive. Um, you know, there's a thousand reasons that disabled people use public transit more than non-disabled people. So, um, so Rebecca Saltzman um, supported the move to reinstate the mask requirement and it passed a couple of weeks ago, which was really exciting. And I put on this slide a, a little picture of Bart and then um, a tweet from Rebecca Saltzman that says, so glad that enforcement of the BART mask requirement has gone so smoothly. It's so important to continue to protect our writers, especially as COVID cases continue to rise. Unfortunately, um, SFMTA has not reinstated the mask mandate. Um, and so a lot of our organizations are, are pushing very hard to make that happen to keep us all safe. 
And so on the right side is a, a picture that shows a crowded muni bus and the caption says, or you're on top, it says, are you willing to ride a maskless muni? And underneath it says, tell the SFMTA board that we need masks on muni so everyone can ride safely. And then there's two links on here um, that we will also put in the chat. So there's the um, Masks for Equity Action Guide, um, and that's bit.ly uh, slash masks for number four equity toolkit. Um, and to get involved, please email info at sdaction.org. All right, moving on to remote participation, I'll turn it back to Fiona. All right. Um, so as the Community Alliance Disability Advocates, and I'll just say um, briefly that the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates, or CADA as we um, call ourselves, and you'll hear me uh, use that acronym throughout the um, uh, presentation, we're really a, um, a group of um, representatives, most of us, um, representing um, disability-related nonprofits, and we um, really advocate for the disability population throughout the city. So it's IMRC, SDA, Community Living Campaign, Diverse Abilities. So Council Member um, Yu has come to some of our meetings and been active, and we work with MOD, um, as you'll see in this effort. So. What do we mean? What do I mean when we talk about remote participation? It's basically what what the public is being able to do right now in this meeting. So it's the ability to watch a meeting on, online and either um, comment by telephone or video. And Jessica has some great quotes from a survey um, that she gave to some of her members and Jessica, I was wondering if you would read those quotes out for us. Sure. First quote says, during COVID, my level of engagement in government meetings, as well as other conferences or community groups has increased significantly. I was able to make my voice heard in meaningful, meaningful arts. I must've typed that wrong. It must be meaningful ways in board of supervisors, committee hearings, SFMTA transportation meetings about Muni, the California Redistricting Commission meetings, and other hearings. I would not be able to continue this level of involvement if I had to attend in person. Second quote, remote accessible meetings provide a lifeline for seniors and disabled persons who wish to participate and remain active in their communities. And the third quote, makes meetings more accessible to all people. Oh, right. And so, Kata, um, given, given those folks and, and really the um, prevailing sentiment through the community, um, Kata really came together and said to the city, okay, well, let's meet, work with the city and get a proposal together of what we would like to see um, as far as remote meetings continuing uh, Really in, really in perpetuity. And again, I'll mention that um, San Francisco even now is really um, leading the way in terms of, of uh, making an effort to um, continue to hybrid, hybridize its meetings even um, 
at this stage. Um, so the proposal we as Canada came up with includes that the city maintain a um, a hybrid call-in option uh, for at least the meetings that are listed here. Um, and I'll go ahead and read them. All Board of Supervisors subcommittees, um, the Mayor's Disability Council, so um, your, meeting, your meeting right now, um, full SFMTA board meetings, including a few of our um, subcommittees, Citizens Advisory Committee and the Multimodal Accessibility Advisory Committee, um, the Park and Rec Commission. So um, as Jessica was mentioning before about um, accessibility of our open, open spaces that has been um, a hot button issue uh, during the pandemic, the Health Commission. So as things uh, continue to unfold with COVID, access to those meetings for folks um, is going to be key. And the um, the, uh, the uh, Disability and Aging Services um, Commission meetings. Um, we, um, we really decided to prioritize these meetings um, as they have um, direct connect connection to the issues that um, most affect the dis disability community. All right, we can go to the next slide. Um, so the progress that we've made so far, um, uh, CADA representatives and um, MOD representatives, uh, your um, great staff met with the um, the mayor's chief of staff and the um, the uh, the city administrator's office uh, just a few weeks ago, um, and we are um, and they highly advised us to meet with the clerk of the board and the um, president of the, the board of supervisors. So we are in the process of scheduling that meeting. We are also with the help of um, your staff are looking into, we may need to do some advocacy around uh, sunshine um, ordinance uh, um, rules and the um, Brown Act, which um, governs open meetings at the city and state levels respectively. Um, and so um, advocacy is very much continuing on the, this front and I'll let Jessica talk more about how you, how you can get involved. Thank you. So um, we have a survey. Um, you saw some of the responses from it earlier. We really need more voices from disabled people to say, here's why remote participation is important. And every time we talk to folks, people say, oh yeah, we don't want to lose this ability to call into a meeting. Um, the Mayor's Disability Council, as Fiona was pointing out, has really been a leader on this, right? That you all have had hybrid meetings with so many accessible features for many years. Um, and you show that it's possible, right? So when others say, that's too hard, we don't know how to do it, it's either one or the other you know, look at MDC, right? And we need to expand that. So um, so people may also have, have stories to share in the survey of how MDC meetings have worked and why you want to see that for other, um, other government groups. 
So, um, so I put the survey in the chat um, and, uh, and I'm hoping uh, Mayor's Office on Disability staff can share that link as well. Um, you can also email me about getting involved, jessica at sdaction.org. Um, and I just wanna add very briefly that um, as far as the part on the slide about main, that we may need some amendments to the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance, that has, has already been controversial um, is what does it mean to amend those because they're about transparency and full public participation. Um, and we want transparency, of course. And so it's really important that we don't end up with government transparency seen as, as kind of um, that we can have one or the other. Either we have transparency or we have access through remote participation. And so what does it look like to have some changes that will allow hybrid meetings, um, but make sure that that our government officials are accountable to. All right, and then on our last slide, Jessica, is just both more contact information. If you have any questions or comments or want to stay involved with us, um, our contact information is on the slide, and we are happy to answer your questions. So at this time, Madam Coaster, we are open to questions. Yes, this is Orchid. Um, as a member, um, I know that there is one member, that, um, Tiffany, that wants to make a comment before she has to leave. So Tiffany, you can go ahead and go first. Hi. Hi, Fiona and Jessica. Um, thank you for coming <laughs> to present. Um, and I know in my capacity, as part of the San Francisco Marriage Disability Council has been great to be in partnership with the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates. And so I just put a comment in, oh, I guess I had a question and then I had a, a comment. So one question is, I've been very loosely following some of the things that are happening with the infrastructure bill at the federal level. And I was wondering if that might help with some of the advocacy that's happening around closing the digital divide. Um, and if you're kind of like connected to any of that advocacy. And then my second uh, comment is that I'd love to just see if we can have a stronger partnership with CADA and both of your organizations. And uh, I actually think something like this could be really beneficial for our council, like on a quarterly or a biannual basis. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, so your question about um, state and federal funds for the digital divide is actually... <laughs> One that we've been getting from uh, supervisors and city officials as we've been kind of taking this ask on the road. And our answer is we do um, anticipate that there'll be money for devices at some point from the state and fed, but we don't know how much of that will end up trickling down to us here at the city level. So we really need and we need this now, so we uh, we really feel that this is kind of a kind of a stopgap measure while we wait and see what that actually is and how much of it is going to trick actually trickle down to us and result in get uh, getting uh, devices in the hands of of folks. Um, I also wanted to add, um, thank you for those comments, Tiffany. And I, I really like the idea of having more collaboration and it could be really powerful. Um, also seeing Tiffany reminded me that um, that one thing we left out of the presentation is 
Kata, um, with a large part of it led by Tiffany, um, has, is it okay if I call you Tiffany or Commissioner you? Um, has been talking about an anti-ableism campaign and really thinking with DOS about what that might look like. So we can talk about that um, maybe next time we come back. Um, and I also forgot, I'm sorry, I'll keep this short. In terms of masking on transit, I really wanted to put in a request for the Mayor's Disability Council to consider a resolution um, supporting the uh, supporting asking the MTA board or the MTA in general really um, to reinstate the mask mandate. I think uh, having support from MDC could go a long way towards making that happen. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany, uh, Councilman Tiffany, or Councilwoman Tiffany. Um, and Alex, do you wanna go ahead and make a comment? I just have thank you for coming. My question to you is that um, regarding outreach on the devices and, and AG, um, as a person with disability that lives in San Francisco, I never got to see that and that information and um, it struck me to see that there is some resources for power chair that I use that Fiona mentioned that can benefit like myself and and, and I just want to ask how do you guys reach out to people like myself or other people with disability that has a job and still possibly can be a beneficial on these resources? I know that this program is targeted on low income and, and things like that, but I just want to make sure that that this opportunity is not limited to, to people like myself that can benefit or other people with disability that can benefit on this program as well. Yeah, so um, really for the campaign itself is right right now, we're trying to get money for these things. Um, but really we want we want to make sure that, like you were saying, Alex is um, that we we want to make sure that once the money is in the hands of these organizations that eventually would would, provide the service and these things, we really want to make sure that they um, provide the services that they say they're going to provide. And really, and we want to make sure that city departments give the, give the money out for the proper um, usage and that we, we um, center these programs in equity, et cetera. So, and really that's one, one of the roles of the Dignity Fund Coalition is really 
not just with the digital divine money, but um, the the dignity fund allocations in general, is to kind of monitor it and make sure that the department and the city and all accountable parties are distributing the money equitably so that folks in various um, communities can be um, included and in, in be able to benefit from the service. So I guess, I guess, um, thank you for the plan. I guess the question I have is that, is how do you guys um, advertise this? I know that, I know that this is some money that you guys ask and it's an implementing yet, but I think I know that in the past there was a study for a key for the city and I just going back to my original question, how do you guys reach out to people that people with disability around the city and um, that are not in I just want to make sure that all people with disability are included on this survey and not only targeted ones that is low income and things yeah. like that. So, I can, yeah, go ahead. I can take that. Um, yeah, thanks for the question, Alex. Um, so it's tricky to answer partly because CADA and the Dignity Fund Coalition are coalitions of organizations. And so they're not so much doing outreach directly. Um, if it's okay for me to speak for Senior and Disability Action, um, we do a lot of outreach to disabled people and older people. And we do focus on low income folks and um, black indigenous people of color um, and really like focusing on disabled and older people who are the most marginalized, right? Who have the least access to resources, who tend to be the, have the, um, the least ability to, to advocate for what they need, right? So that, that tends to be our focus, but an issue like masking on transit or remote participation, you know, those are things that really affect everyone. Um, some of the ways that we do outreach, um, we use social media, we do surveys like this, right? Asking for people's contact information so we can invite people to get involved. Um, for the free Wi-Fi campaign, we have a petition that we sent out um, that we're asking people to share, um, as well as doing like on the street and door-to-door -door outreach so that we're really finding people in a lot of different ways. But it continues to be a challenge, I think, for all of our organizations and, and all disability communities is that disabled people are often super isolated. And I remember when we were working on support at home, the home care subsidy program, um, that there was some data that there's a huge number of Latinx disabled people that need long-term services and supports and aren't getting them. And it was like the people who weren't plugged in are very hard, hard to find. So I think it's kind of an ongoing discussion. Like I said, I would encourage your organization and all of us to, to reach out to people that only for that are income and, and vulnerable people, but all kind of 
people with disability and like myself and people who are has um a job or artists like that but that might be have beneficial on this program. So I just wanna encourage your organization and all of us to reach out to people like those populations. Thank you for coming. Thank you. This is Orchid speaking. I do have two other committee members who wanted to, excuse me, council members who wanted to uh, mention. I've got Denise, um, council members, if you'd like to go ahead and add your comments. Denise first. Um, Orchid, my apologies. I didn't tap the request to speak, but I appreciate you including me. So I'm going to double check and make sure my hand is not up. up. Because my concern, <laughs> I didn't want to you, leave Mike. you out. No, thank you. Now, my questions concerns were already addressed to council members, so I understand because of time constraints. So, thank you very much for including me, Orchid. <laughs> of course. Okay. So, our next is, uh, I'm sorry, Council Member Woods. Thank you. Councilmember Woods? I did not um, ask any questions. Uh, I believe any questions I had have, have been uh, thoroughly explained. Okay, thank you, Gishan. Thank you. Um, so, Orchid, this is Orchid speaking, and I did have a couple things that I wanted to mention. I first of all want to thank you for including us in this discussion because it is so important for all of us to advocate uh, for our communities. It's so important. So, please do not stop. Please continue. <laughs> All of the um, items that you've raised today impact a lot of people. That elevator one, especially, I've heard from other deafblind participants um, who have said they've been stuck in elevators for hours, 24 hours, screaming for help, and they were stuck in that elevator. So when you were saying that elevator story, I, I really it, it really touched me because people who can't hear people who can't hear, right? They can't push that button that then connects them to the police or the firefighter that says, hello, do you need help? Right? So that system is failing. That's a failure in a system for a deaf person to not be able to communicate. And that is so scary for me as a deaf person to even consider that happening. And I have heard horror stories like that happening. Um, the internet thing, I really appreciate you going to bat with AT&T and trying to get them to, to do this because I think especially our senior citizen and disabled communities who, who are isolated at home right now that there's no more masks, they feel like they have to stay home, but they still want to participate. And how do you do that? You need the internet. So uh, I think that that's uh, definitely food for thought. That's a discussion that we definitely need to continue having. And of course, there's no easy solutions and money is a big consideration. I did wanna thank you so much again for your presentation. I just want to emphasize again that everything that you've talked about is so critical. And if you have any other ideas you'd like to bring with us, we appreciate those too. Um, were there any other council members um, before I go on to public comment? Nicole, was there something you wanted to share? 
Yes, if I could for just a second, I know we're running long. I just wanted to say uh, thanks again. Um, and um, I wanted to also highlight a, a couple of things. One, there's been a lot of resources shared in the chat today, but there are members watching on SFGov TV who are not on Zoom. So we will um, do our best to collect all of the resources that have been shared today and then push them out through the, uh, the MOD distribution list. And I will announce how to be a part of that if you're not on it when I get to my report later, which has a lot more uh, advocacy efforts that are happening even beyond what we've done at the, uh, what, what everybody here is doing on the community level. So there's so much more to be done. Uh, and, and then um, to, I just wanted to elevate for the Dignity Fund folks in Fiona, I'd be happy to talk with you in particular, but one of the things also that we learned through the Empowered uh, Cities Technology Needs Assessment is transitional aged youth with disabilities in particular are experiencing technology gaps. And, and so in an effort to really make sure that we're reaching everyone, there's there are other details and this council heard um, a, a presentation on the a, a technology needs assessment. Oh good, okay, I, was, I wasn't sure. Uh, several months ago and also made a recommendation that the recommendations coming out of that effort moving forward are more uh, disability specific focused. Okay. And so I hope, uh, I know that that council, this council would continue to advocate for that as we're moving forward and really looking specifically at what we learned about people with disabilities uh, through that assessment. So just wanted to mention that and happy to talk with you or anyone really right. about what we learned. Uh, thanks again for coming. And I think with that ORCID, we can move to public comment, please. Yes, let's go ahead with those public comments. Debbie, do we have any public comments? Okay, so let me remind people um, that you can um, participate in the meeting as a Zoom webinar participant. And if you are interested in doing that, you can um, join the webinar by clicking on the Zoom link. If you're watching on SFGov TV, that link is displayed on your screen. If you want to join the webinar using a telephone, you can dial in 669-900-6833. The webinar ID is 854-1955-0001. If you join the webinar using your computer or tablet or smartphone, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on raise hand and you'll be recognized when it's your turn. Um, you can also use the Q&A feature on Zoom to be recognized to make a comment and you can make comments if you'd like us to read them for you in the Q&A area. And um, if you dial in by phone, dial star nine when you want to be recognized. So I do see one hand up in Zoom from Alida. 
And if you want to make a comment, Alita, please unmute your phone. Okay, thank you so much. I think you can hear me now. Yes. Um, I would just like to thank um, both Senior and Disability Action as well as Independent Living um, for this amazing presentation. Thank you for the work being done. Um, uh, this aligns very much with what families of children with disabilities are experiencing in, um, in the city as well. Um, both the Community Advisory Committee for Special Education and the Parent Advisory Committee have been advocating to reintroduce mask mandates in schools. Um, many of us have kids who take public transit. Um, uh, my daughter is a senior in high school and just caught COVID. We're not sure if it was on uni or at school. Um, and uh, we're hoping that she tests negative in time to go back to school and walk across the stage and graduate. Um, fingers crossed for us, please. Um, as far as remote participation, um, CAC meeting attendance has increased by over 50%. Um, and what we found is that when families don't have, and families of children with disabilities, we have to hire specialized childcare providers for our meetings. Um, and for a lot of families, getting their children with disabilities out to our meetings was a bit of a barrier. And so now um, being able to participate online has been a huge game changer from an accessibility standpoint. Um, so now that we're being forced back to in-person meetings, our members who have kids with disabilities very often um, are having to excuse themselves, be called absent, or if they participate as an attendee rather than as a member, they don't have their voting privileges because of the Brown Act. So this is a huge, huge issue. And thank you for the advocacy around this. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Alita. Great comments. Uh, next, anybody else, public comments? Any other uh, public would like to add a comment? Great. Okay. I guess there's no other public comments. Okay. So now we will have our break. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So, I, oh, wanna, I just want to check because Debbie, I think, was frozen for a minute. Are we Are we good to go, Debbie? Back. Okay. Are there additional, do we have any additional public comments on this item? I do not. I didn't see any a minute ago. And um, we are, um, I do not see any more. Okay. I'm sorry, Orchid. Thank you. I am done speaking. Thanks. Oh, that's fine. No, no worries, council member. It is now 317. We will break. If we could please come back at 3.30. I know it's a little less than, uh, than 15 minutes. Our next presentation will start at 3.30. And once that presentation is over, we will have one more report from our MOD staff. And then we will wrap up our meeting. So please be back at 3.30. Thank you.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
afternoon. We actually have three more agenda items. Um, our first discussion is about hearing loss awareness month, resources for hearing for people with hearing loss. And our presenter will be Ken Arcia from the Association of Late Deafened Adults. So please go ahead and introduce yourself, Ken. And um, if you wanna go ahead and turn on your picture, we are ready. Great. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining us today. Go ahead and take it away. The floor is yours. First, uh, can you hear me okay? Um, first, I wanna let you know that the sign that we tend to use for people who are late, deafened, is late deafened. The sign late, that's confusing, related to time. So we try to encourage people to use the sign late deafened. Uh, again, my name is Ken Arcia, and I'm president of all the Association of Late Deafened Adults. And thank you, Orchid, for letting me join. Uh, I have to apologize for my casual attire because I'm on vacation. <laughs> I'm in San Diego right now uh, at a hotel that we're going to be using for a conference in the fall. So, uh, but I did have something related to the Bay Area. <laughs> Go Warriors. Anyway, let me uh, go ahead and share my screen. Uh, and I want to first. I want to mention that my comments or my slide is about people with hearing loss, so it's not related to people who are born deaf. That's different. So my resources and things are about people who lose their hearing. So let me switch over to uh, my other screen here. I can't tell if you can see my screen. No, I do not see your screen. Let's see here. And it does say that you are co-host. So you should be able to share your screen. We're having a technical difficulty. Just give us one moment. Oh, you're not able to see the slide. Okay. Okay. If you would like, if you want to email it to us, if it's easy. Oh, there we go. Here it comes. Okay. Not quite there yet. It's there. We go. We can see your screen now. Thank you, Ken. All right. Thank you, John, for doing that. Go ahead and switch to the second slide. John, if you can go to the second slide. 
There you go. There you go. Okay. So, uh, in summary, this is uh, basically the first steps. What happens is when a person notices their hearing loss, that they should check with their PCP, their primary care doctor. Often, what happens is that uh, the person with hearing loss, their friends and family will notice that their hearing loss first before the person with the hearing loss. So then they'll say, they'll notice uh, you're missing things or saying what a lot. So uh, we encourage you to go check with your doctor first. You want to see, um, maybe they will be referred to ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor. And you want to check to see if this is condition is temporary or permanent. After you talk with your doctor, then you may want to check with uh, VR because often if the person is still working, VR can help you. They will either help you um, with having a doctor's exam for hearing aids, maybe. They want to see if, you, if hearing aids will help. Also, if suppose you're in, an, uh, in a job right now that relies heavily on the phone, that may not be the best for you. So VR can help you go back to school or be trained for another type of job. Um, they also uh, will set up an appointment with an audiologist and um, they may help pay for hearing aids if they're needed. If uh, also you can get a referral from your doctor to a licensed audiologist they can test your hearing to see if a hearing aid or even a cochlear implant would help you. And also they can, um, they can show you, demonstrate or show you uh, other types of technology like assistive listening systems, uh, neck loops, um, Roger pen, microphone type things, all those types of different technology that can help people with hearing loss. Also, um, the doctor may refer you to local support groups. Um, these can include national organizations with local chapters, like I uh, listed some here, HLAA, Hearing Loss Association of America, that was formerly called SHHH, but they changed their name several years ago. Uh, next one is ALDA. You can see I put the website address on the slide. So HLA, their website is www.hearingloss.org. For ALDA, their website is www.alda.org. The next one, the big organization for people who tend to be born deaf is National Association of the Deaf www.nad.org. Another online resource is called the Say What Club. That is www.saywhat.org. Those are all national organizations. You may check with them to see if they have local groups. 
The last one is uh, you can check for online support groups that includes Facebook. Facebook has really thousands of support groups on there and you can do a search. So you can search for uh, hearing loss or deaf or hard of hearing or even late deafened. Uh, some people use the word hearing impaired. So you can do a search for any of those and there's different groups that will pop up. What's really nice about those support groups online or really any support group is that you tend to find people that are like you. So you won't feel so alone. So you can ask questions and learn things about how to deal with your hearing loss. Maybe learn about new technology. What's really popular right now out in the community, especially with people who have masks, is uh, an app called Live Transcribe or any type of voice to text app that's really popular right now, spreading like wildfire. So that's a good you know, one resource uh, that you learn about from other people. I had somebody contact me just last week saying, I heard about something, uh, captioning something. So I, I helped her download that app. So these are just some of the resources that are available out there for people who lose their hearing. If you uh, have questions for me, you can contact me at presidentalda.org, okay? Great, thank you so much, Ken. Thank you so much for joining uh, and for your wonderful presentation. I also wanted to add the benefit of um, communicating or learning sign language um, at many community colleges have courses available. If you wanted to learn um, sign language, if technology fails, you have sign language. And there's also apps as well. There's one called Cardzilla, C-A-R-D-Z-I-L-A. Um, a lot of people use that because we ha have our smartphone. It is actually um, made locally and it, it is free. Um, and it, you are able to adjust the size of your fonts and there are different features and functions involved in the app. Um, and so that was made uh, here. So thank you very much for all the information um, made um, by and about late deafened individuals. And it's a great opportunity. Um, I want to first of all see if there's any council members that had any comments or questions before we open it up to this. Seeing none. Nicole, MOD staff. Hello. Hello again. Thank you, Ken, for being here. I just wanted to say thank you, especially to um, to Co-Chair Sasuni for helping to elevate um, Hearing Loss Awareness Month and for um, having this on the agenda today. Thank you for the resources, and we will also collect these and share these resources out to folks. Thank you very much for being here. Right, thank you. Debbie? Okay, let me just briefly remind people, if you're in the Zoom session, you can click on the three dots near your um, name in order to uh, raise your hand um, or use the raise hand function. 
Um, if you would like to make a comment, you can also call in um, to the Zoom meeting by calling 669-900-6833. And the webinar ID is 854-1955-0368. And you can also use the Q&A function in Zoom to make a comment and to be recognized. And if you're on the phone and you need or you would like to make a comment, dial star nine. At this time, I do not see any request for public comment. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, uh, we are moving on to item number eight, which is the report from the mayor's office on disability. And please note that the director's report to the MDC can be found on the what's new section of MOD's website and that is http colon slash slash sfgov.org slash sfmdc slash what's hyphen new comma. And that in, included in that website is also the director's report for April 15th, 2022. Go ahead, Nicole. Thank you, Orchid. Okay, so today's uh, director's report, there's, as I mentioned earlier, there is a lot going on. And so this report will be posted uh, and uh, you can engage with the report that way or by calling 415-554-6789 if you have questions. Our email is mod at sfgov.org. You can also join our distribution list where these reports are uh, linked through in our messages by contacting us and visiting us at sfgov.org backslash MOD. So I'd like to start with legislative updates for May 2022 in local legislation and resolutions uh, related to JFK Drive, J now JFK Promenade. There are multiple updates that are legislative related to this road in Golden Gate Park. The first is that since the April meeting, uh, the Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program with referral number 220-261, this is the legislation that was sponsored by uh, the mayor, has passed. And it recommends uh, that SFMTA and the Recreation and Park Staff Report is adopted. It was passed by a vote of seven to four in a joint special meeting of the Board of Supervisors and the County Transportation Authority on April 26th. So it was not a unanimous uh, vote on that item. As the council knows, your JFK Drive resolution helped to form the Accessibility Improvements and Enhancement Commitments, uh, which I've linked to in this report and the public can take a look at um, and uh, absorb uh, when it's posted. It was provided to the Board of Supervisors in preparation for the vote. And I just wanna say that this was 
this uh, timeline deliverables was something that was in the uh, Mayor's Disability Council resolution and it happened because of the resolution. So I just wanted to elevate um, that when the council does choose um, to move forward on resolutions, it does have impact. You'll, the public will be getting an update on all of these commitments as part of the MDC public meeting on June 17th of this year. The second JFK Drive Promenade related item was referral number 220339, which was the Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program uh, modified configuration as presented by Supervisor Chan. This was not uh, adopted when it was heard at the full Board of Supervisors, but it has been referred back to a land use and uh, transportation committee for further review. And then the third thing that is now happening that's new since my last report to you all is there's a referral number 220475, uh, which is a hearing. It's a, a hearing about museum recovery and progress update on the Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program that was called for by Supervisor Stephanie. And it is within the Public Services Neighborhood Committee uh, referral, but has yet to be scheduled for a public hearing. This hearing is part of the response to an amendment that was passed uh, regarding the JFK Promenade legislation that requires quarterly reporting by Recreation and Parks and SFMTA on museum recovery, as well as these accessibility improvements that were very well highlighted in the public meeting. When the hearing is scheduled, MOD will distribute this information to the public. And again, if you have questions about this and you don't have access to the internet, you can call 415-554-6789 and you'll be hearing more about this in the June meeting of this council. Related to shared spaces, uh, we know, and it was mentioned last time, that this legislation was passed. Now the shared spaces team is looking for members of the deaf and disabled community to be part of a PSA about accessibility in shared spaces, which I've, I've seen an early draft of this is a, a, a 30 second, 45 second public spot. Um, and we really would love to have um, volunteers with disabilities who might be willing to be uh, part of the script so, and part of this the uh, video shoot. So if you're interested in this, please contact MOD at MOD at sfgov.org or by calling 415-554-6789. Uh, and then uh, one more follow-up that's happened since the last meeting. It's been a very busy four weeks. Uh, related to your e-scooter uh, safety resolution that was sponsored, by Supervisor Peskin that members of this council were involved in on May uh, 19th. Uh, so a week ago, uh, Thursday, uh, there was a demonstration uh, that involved the permitted scooter companies and um, myself and members of the SFMTA team uh, to, around demonstrating speed reduction. And I'll say this, that um, it, was, it was a good event. It was covered by the press. Um, the, uh, there were several members, including myself, who were interviewed on the news about our experiences. 
And there's there's more to be done though with uh, e-scooter safety. So I encourage on that issue. The virtual meetings uh, issue is still uh, is still going on. Uh, Jessica and Fiona talked about this earlier, so I would encourage you to agendize uh, hybrid meetings as a uh, item if you'd like to learn more about the city's efforts. Uh, there are a couple of new pieces of state legislation that I wanted to highlight today. One is that uh, in the California Public Utilities Commission um, process, they are now hearing comment about autonomous vehicles. As a reminder, autonomous vehicles are not regulated by the city uh, in any way. They're uh, permitted through the Department of Motor Vehicles, which is state, and the California Public Utilities Commission, which is state. Cruz is applying for a permit, and um, the uh, Mayor's Office on Disability and SFMTA have participated in some comments, um, an endorsement from this council to continue to participate in these comments would be appreciated because we really want to continue to encourage um, the uh, autonomous vehicle companies. Right now, we're just talking about crews and they're just uh, applying to operate in San Francisco and not other counties uh, to help us uh, stay engaged on this issue because there are, some, there are some accessibility benefits to autonomous vehicles and there are also some accessibility mm -hmm. concerns. So this is a request to the council to, to help uh, the mayor's office on disability stay engaged. Also, there is Senate Bill 1480 that has been introduced, which is about remote accessible voting, which expands on remote accessible uh, vote by mail to allow voters to send in their ballot um, via an email transmission to the Department of Elections. This uh, legislation is uh, desired for by many members of the disability community. And so just wanted to have that on your radar in case you would like to learn more about what is happening uh, with that effort. And then there are additional uh, ongoing state uh, advocacy efforts happening with the Transportation Network Company legislation and also Assembly Bill 2236, which is a speed safety pilot program that I've detailed in, in my report. Related to COVID, uh, moving on now to um, COVID response in the disability community, continue to have information um, around uh, at-home vaccination options are available. If you would like uh, that, please call the COVID Resource Center at 628-652-2700. And uh, this is a, just a, a general announcement, no dates to be announced yet, but the Lighthouse for the Blind is interested in planning another in-person booster clinic for people with disabilities to occur in June. And as I mentioned, um, dates to be announced. Okay, now I have a couple items of interest um, to the community. There, May is a, there's a lot of different awareness activities happening in May. It is also Affordable Housing Awareness Month. And in that spirit, I wanted to announce that the, uh, the 
this the housing needs affordable housing needs assessment, which you may recall from earlier presentation to the council, is an effort that is being led by DOS with advisory from other multiple uh, city entities, including MOD, is beginning the um, community outreach uh, phase. And so you'll be uh, finding from us ways to participate in uh, telling them what you think about the city's housing services for people with disabilities. Uh, be, your feedback will help inform system recommendations and strategic planning around affordable and accessible housing. And there will be multiple ways to participate in the needs assessment, um, a telephone interview that has a $25 um, incentive attached, an in-person or community forum, um, there uh, and there's a website to uh, register. I'm going to give a phone number in the instance of time when I'm done with this little part of the of the report. There's going to be opportunities to take a 10-minute survey, and there will also be a deaf community-specific focus group about affordable housing. So, and this is being led by uh, DOS, as I said, by our colleague uh, Izzy Isabel Clayton. And her, and this is the best way for members of the public, if you have questions, is to call 628-652-5702. Um, also, the Mayor's Office on Disability will be uh, putting together some information about these upcoming opportunities for other focus groups that are going to be in Zoom, and one is on Zoom, and three are in person in various areas of the city. We're trying to reach as many folks as we can. May is also Older American Awareness Month, and in that spirit, there is going to be a seminar about the Older Americans Act that is sponsored by DOS that's happening on Thursday, May 26th from 10.30 a.m. to noon, and we will um, send out that Zoom link information as well. So in concluding my report, I just want to talk about some other uh, items for MDC hearing consideration. Um, uh, we have, as uh, you may remember, we've um, planned out um, several of the uh, agenda items uh, with your feedback uh, for the next few months, but there are, there are a few other ones that are also uh, time sensitive. So just wanted to elevate those for you. One is um, conversation around the Great Highway and an effort around Great Highway Park and the continuation of slow streets. Um, as a reminder, when the state and local emergency orders are lifted, other current road closures or slow streets may be subject to permanent consideration. And as you know, we've been very involved in uh, public comment on road closures. This is a, a, a significant concern for the disability community. So I encourage you to think about uh, how uh, you might want to hear and learn about that. Um, hybrid meeting, hybrid public meeting participation, as our colleagues earlier mentioned, is also happening right now. Conversations are happening right now. And so that the time uh, for, for that is, is now as well or in the next few months. And then, as I mentioned earlier, autonomous vehicles in San Francisco and accessibility is a more uh, 
timely item. The, um, the, the one additional item that I also wanted to recommend for additional consideration that's not as mission or time critical rather, it is definitely mission critical, but not time critical necessarily, is uh, perhaps disability employment updates. Citywide data collection efforts pertaining to employees with disabilities is to potentially begin happily from our perspective in MOD in October uh, 22, hopefully in time uh, for Disability Employment Awareness Month. And we've had some positive conversations with our colleagues in the uh, Department of Human Resources and also from the mayor's office uh, liaison on racial equity to really think about um, what we're doing in terms of making disability employment more visible in San Francisco. And so just wanted to elevate that as a potential topic for future consideration. And uh, that concludes my report for today. And again, please uh, be on the lookout for um, this report to be posted to the Mayor's Disability Council website and also under What's New. And you can uh, also, again, you can join our distribution list by going to sfgov.org backslash MOD or by calling 415-554-6789. Thank you. Hi, um, uh, Nicole. It's, it's Alex. Um, I have to go soon, but I just have to thank you. First of all, I just want to say thank you for your report. And I just have one question to you um, regarding boosters. I know that um, it's not recommended for people with disability. Some, some disabled people or under 50 get a second booster, but um, when like some of us are getting into that six months period coming up after the first booster, I understand that people need to talk to the PCP, but are there, do you know any news or recommendation from San Francisco Public Health when it comes to second booster or when this first booster is coming to to the six months. That's a very good question. I think the the advice that, that I'm aware of, and, and uh, we will definitely um, check with public health and, and specifically to um, folks with disabilities, if you are someone who is in a vulnerable um is, is more vulnerable to, um, to um, the impacts of COVID. First of all, it is recommended do, you know, check with your doctor, but the city has, and public health has said, 
check with your doctor and um, and second uh, second dose boosters are are okay. It has been a while since we had a public meeting with any representatives from public health, so it might be a good timing again to think about having them uh, come back as well. But that is that is the public messaging that is out there right now that it is okay to get a second booster if you would like one. You should get one, but and check with your doctor if you have any concerns about that. Thank you. That's great. Sorry about that orchid here. Thank you, Nicole, for that report. Great. Thank you so much for that wonderful discussion too, Alex. Uh, we're going to agenda item number nine. Let's go ahead with number nine. Debbie, do we have any public comments? So again, as a reminder, you can make public comments by going to the raise hand icon or going to the three dot symbol and looking for the raise hand function. Um, you can dial star nine if you're on the phone and you can also go to the Q&A function to leave comments there. Um, at this point, I see no requests for comments. Great, thank you, Debbie. Okay, so moving on to our next agenda item, number 10. Uh, information item. Any correspondence, Debbie? Do we have any? Yes. Um, over the past month, there has been correspondence related to um, the um, both the JFK Promenade and the Great Highway. Um, there have been over 40 messages received um, that are wow. thanking, thanking, <laughs> thanking the city. They, they seem to be using a template um, because they're very similar in language. Um, these messages are thanking the city for making JFK promenade car free um, and also recommending that the great highway be made into a similar area where people can walk without cars or do other role, walk or roll. Um, in addition to those, there have been over 150 emails that were received before the vote on April 26th, um, but right after the last council meeting that were in favor of the vote that the Board of Supervisors took to make JFK Promenade car-free. And that is the correspondence that was received in the past month. Fabulous. Thank you, Debbie. Great to hear that. Moving on to agenda item number 11, the discussion item board member comments or any announcements? Any of our lovely council members have any uh, announcements they'd like to share? Uh, hearing none, seeing none. Okay, moving right along. Number 12, adjournment. 
Any proposals to adjourn? This is Denise. I still move to adjourn. Great. Thank you, Denise. Have a great and safe weekend, everyone. And we'll see you next month. Remember, it's that third Friday in June. We'll see you then. Thank you, everyone, for coming to the meeting today. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you to our interview. Thank you. Have a good week.